I have a request for the band. Can you guys just move into my house and just be there like all the time? Is that something? Can we talk about it? I think I need that song on repeat, as they say. Who needs that song on repeat this week? That was amazing. Thank you, guys. Thank you for bringing that song to us. You know, sometimes when they say there's a new song, I'm like, oh, am I going to like it? Oh, am I going to know it? Ugh, Ben. Always trying to bring us new things. Right? I'm not the only one. I'm just saying it. Y'all think it. Anyway, but uh, thank you, Ben, for always proving me wrong. <laughs> uh, well, good morning. My name is Melody, and I'm one of the pastors here at New Song. And uh, the rain is coming down, and the wind is blowing. Yes? Uh, that is indeed today. And um, just so glad you're here, that you made it uh, on this cold day, on this uh, rainy day. Um, Man, sometimes those are the best days for whatever reason, and we're just thankful that you are here today and that you have decided to be present and participate in this way today. Uh, if you are just visiting us or you're checking us out or um, have a prayer request or maybe the wind is coming down all around, the rain is coming down, the wind is blowing for whatever reason... Uh, there are several cards in front of you, and we say it, and we say it, and we say it almost every week, and we say, hey, listen, connect. Connect, let us know what your name is, how we can connect with you if you are just checking us out. Uh, let us know how we can pray for you. We know you know your name in here, but how can we pray for you this week? The wind is coming all around. The, wind, the rain is... Or maybe you have a praise. Maybe you have a praise. I have a praise. I have a new washing machine in my house. Oh, my gosh. That washing machine was trying to kill me. And so I told Chris, like, we just can't... Well, let's just go get one. I, I tell you, like, now I just want to wash all the things in the house. Now I'm like, oh, let's see what setting I can use next. That's a huge praise for us because it's a huge appliance. It was on sale. He gave us all sorts of discounts. Anyway, these are not real problems, but they kind of were for me for a little bit. So anyway, we have a new washing machine. I'm going to write that down on a Connect card, okay? So y'all take out a card. I don't know why I keep saying y'all. You guys keep take, a, take out a card. Write down a prayer, write down a praise, whatever it is. I would love, love, love for Nancy uh, to be flooded with all these Connect cards. She doesn't know what to do with them, and she says, here, here, here. Okay, so do that this morning. Um, all right, so a few uh, logistical things I have to get out to you first. If you have not received your giving statement in the mail, tax it's tax time, guess what? We all love it and hate it at the same time. I hate it, I love it, I don't know where you stand, but you need this piece of paper if you give here at New Song. So if you have not received this in the mail, email, sorry, if you have not received this in the email, um, please contact the front office, okay? So call the front office tomorrow morning, uh, contact the front office and see how you can get that. Another thing I want to tell you that you have to do tomorrow if you are a lady in the house is come tomorrow to the women's night, women 13 and up, we are all ladies, uh, and we are going to gather tomorrow to just share a little bit of tea or coffee or cookies or whatever is the 
um, item that day, and we are going to continue our study in this book. And um, this book is titled, Amen, From Eden to Eternity. And it has just been, uh, a couple of studies we've done in here has just been such a wonderful time. It goes from the front of the Bible to the back of the Bible. And so it's just been a really good time. It's nothing heavy, okay? I'm not going to do, what are they called? Sword drills? Is that what they're called? When you have to like, okay, where's Psalm 52? And then you have to find, is that what it's called? Sword drills? Okay. I called them something different growing up. So um, just come and we will gather and have a nice time together and of course um, pray together and just be together. All right, I have another announcement to make, but I need two props. And those two props are named Henry, Henry Washburn and Sophia Washburn. Will you welcome them up for me? Come on down. Oh, this is going to break. I'm just going to stand over here with you guys. Come on down. Now, you might not recognize Henry on a Sunday morning because if he's here on a Saturday morning for the pantry, this boy is sweating. He is dripping sweat, right? That last time? Oh, my goodness. Did you take a shower after that time? Yeah. All right. So this is Henry. You said no. He said yes. He smells good. He passes the mom test. Um, Henry and Sophia Washburn here. Look, she's so much taller than me. It's okay. I'll stand next to her. I should have worn my matching vest. Dang it. Uh, So Sophia, if uh, you don't know her, she spent a lot of time with me last year in the pantry and helped me come up with quite the system where we were tracking what? We were keeping track of um, just like information to get to know the guests who came through. Mm-hmm. She did this as a Girl Scout project, a silver award, and not just because of that, but yeah, I give her a round of applause. But she helped me come up with a system that helps us track just kind of important things for our pantry guests, and we spent the better part of the year together doing that. And they come, and they serve, and they are here, and they are part of our community, um, our church community here, and they are also a part of the San Dimas community. Specifically, Sophia goes to San Dimas High School. That is right across the street. And where do you, are you still at Xtrand? Yes, you are at Xtrand. You'll be at the high school eventually, but don't grow up too fast. Um, Sophia, let me ask you this, because word on the street is that the Thursday Connect has made quite an impact across the street and possibly in their school paper. Yeah, I, I don't think the article's out yet, but they are. it was on the board in the journalism class. There's been a lot of people going, and I've heard a lot of good things about it. Yes, so, right? And we were going to have up here with us also a young lady named Bailey. And Bailey, I actually met at a Thursday Connect for the first time. We were serving coffee, and she just kind of was standing there, and I started chatting with her. Next thing I know, she's Sophia's friend. Next thing I know, she's here on a Sunday. Next thing I know, she's volunteering at the pantry as well. And next thing I know, she played Mary in our little impromptu uh, theater uh, in December. So just full circle, right? Full circle, just all the things. And so she was going to be up here today. And what are we talking about today? So Sophia and Henry are in a play across the street this week. And the play is Oliver. Can you tell us, Henry, what character you're playing and a little bit about that character? 
I've hugged him too much. Now he's standing away from me. But come this way. So I am playing a character called Charlie Bates, and he is a part of a group of kids that pick pockets. Oh. <laughs> it's just a play, right? Have you gotten into the character? Yeah. Have you done any research? No, okay. I'm gonna check my pockets after this. All right, Sophia, tell us a little bit about your character. Uh, yeah, I'm one of the actresses who plays Nancy. Um, she is also part of the group of boys. She's kind of the mother figure to all of them, and it's just a really fun role to play. Yes. All right, so here is, here is something. We talk about, you know, we love being a community church, and we love being part of supporting what that looks like and just being involved. So this, thir does it start Wednesday? Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, Sophia here has uh, flyers, and we can go support the theater program at San Dimas High School. What do you think? Yeah? yeah? We can go support them. We can see one Sophia Washburn. You're going to want to say it. I knew that girl. One Henry Washburn. I knew that boy. Um, or know them, excuse me. This is before you get super famous. Um, Anyway, so Sophia has some flyers here, and there's all sorts of times. Uh, you can pay tickets online, but again, everything we do, everything you pay for, goes directly to the theater program, and it's just a great way to support you guys who, you know, we call our kids, right? And the community kids who are also our kids, and the high school across the street, our high school, right? Let's take ownership of that. So the only thing I am going to mention, may I read it? There is a little bit of a trigger warning for Act 2, and I'm just going to read it. It says, trigger advisory. Act 1 of Oliver is a family-friendly and features all of our elementary and our middle school performers. Act 2 tastefully features some more mature content. Patrons with younger family members may choose to leave at intermission. So we just want you to know that because there is a little bit of more mature content on Act 2. So everybody has that information. So you don't come back next week and you're mad at me. So um, let's just say a prayer over these guys really quick. How about that? How about you just extend your hand if you feel comfortable and we'll just say a prayer. Here, Henry, come Come hold my hand like this, and Sophia, you'd like this. Okay. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for Sophia and for Henry and for Bailey, who's not here, and for all the kids in the, in the program this week. God, I pray that you would just bless them with just uh, overflowing confidence, that they would be ready, that you would calm their nerves, and that you would just be with them, be with the program, God, that they would raise so much money for the many things to come, God. God, thank you for Sophia and Henry that are here today, God. Bless them and keep them and go before them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Exit stage left. I don't know any of the theater lingo. Linda's probably dying. Uh, okay, and one more quick announcement. Uh, next week is Soup Sunday here at New Song, and it is our favorite Sunday. I, I think I'm going to name it Golden Corral Soup Sunday because it is quite the buffet of soups. 
and we have a ton of soups out there. Next week, we just spend some time in community together. We have kids in here. It is just a great time just to be together and see each other's faces. We get to read people's names on their name tags next Sunday. So if you'd like to bring soup, please, by all means, try it out. You can be anonymous if you just want to see how that goes. But uh, you can also just tell me, hey, Melody, I'll bring potato soup or bean soup or whatever it is. So you are all invited to that, and it's a great time to just hang out for a little bit after service next week. So with that, uh, let's bring on our pastor for the morning. I'm going to pray over Grant really quick and over our week. How about that? Lord Jesus, I just pray right now that you would... uh, Oh, that you would just give us a moment here to take in, um, take in what this day is, God. Take in all the things that are um, are happening in our lives, are happening uh, just with everyone here, Lord. Lord, I pray that as we uh, listen to Grant, as we um, sing the songs. Thank you just so much for the blessing that that, um, just all the songs are from the, from the one that we sang at the beginning. What if God was one of us? Lord, help us hear what Grant has to say about that this morning. Lord, thank you for that last song where we said the, the wind is blowing and the rain is coming down, but I have this, this joy that I can't explain. There's chaos around me, but I have a peace that comes from you. Lord, I pray that as we continue on today and continue on our service, God, that you would just uh, be with each of our hearts and uh, calm our nerves, calm our emotions, God. God, would we be able to walk in confidence that you are the Lord of lords and the King of kings, God, and and you set the way. God, thank you for Grant. Thank you for the time that he has put into um, this message, Lord. Lord, I pray now that he would bring us your words with the confidence, God, that you have called him to speak here and now and today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Sir Grant... Would you welcome him? What's the female equivalent of sir? Sir. What's the female equivalent of sir? Ma'am. Am I on? Is this working? Sorry. Madam Melody? That's weird. Good morning, everybody. So, yeah, we're on this week three of Hebrews. Week three? Wow, we've, there's a, so much stuff at the beginning of this thing. It feels like we've been doing this for months. It's a lot of information. Um, and today we're going to be in chapter two, verses 11 to 18. So if you have a Bible with you or want to follow along on your phone or whatever, the, the, it will also be on the screen. Uh, first, I just want to ask you a question. Uh, who here is a, an avid TV watcher, watches Netflix, all that kind of stuff? You love your TV, watch your shows. Who likes documentaries? Well, I'm not going to talk about documentary, but it's sort of like a documentary because it's a, it's a true story. My wife, basically, if I want to have her watch a film, even if I, have to, if I really wanted to watch it, I'll tell her it's based on a true story. And she's, all, she's like, yes, okay, I'll watch it. So I just lie. I'm like, yeah, it's based on a true story. It's called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. No. So there's a movie by Ron Howard 
that came out called 13 Lives. Has anyone seen that movie? Incredible uh, movie starring uh, Viggo Mortensen, who was who in what film? He was Aragorn in The Lord of the Rings, right? Uh, amazing actor. And it tells the true story of a kid's soccer team in Thailand and their coach. And they went into a cave. They were going to do some kind of uh, ceremony uh, for their team. Um, and un unfortunately, they became trapped because the monsoon came early. And whilst they were in there, a bunch of water came in, flooded the cave, and they could not get out. Um, even if you haven't watched the movie, you possibly heard about the event. It was in 2018. Um, there were 12, of, uh, 12 uh, kids, ages 11 to 16, and their 25-year-old coach. Um, so on, uh, they were found missing on June 23rd, 2018. They found their bikes all outside this cave system and no sign of the kids. So, of course, their parents were just absolutely worried out of their minds. Uh, the, the mayor uh, heard about it. They mobilized the army. And all of these people rushed to try and help save these kids in a fairly impossible situation. Well, there were three British divers who came to help. Um, and at first, they're not allowed to get involved because the Thai Navy is quite confident that they can do the job. That they're going to take care of this. Uh, it's their people, their place. So they don't really welcome these guys in. But after considering all kinds of ideas, such as tunneling down to where the kids are, which proved to be impossible, even Elon Musk offered technology, um, they realized actually there's no other way to do it than go into the flooded tunnels and somehow bring these kids back out. It's a really difficult thing to do. So the Navy SEALs actually try, and sadly, one of the Navy SEALs loses his life, and they realize this is next to impossible to save these boys. So it's actually about a five to six hour dive through caves with limited visibility. At times, it's so narrow they have to remove their air tanks to push them through ahead of themselves to get through into this cave. Um, and so this, they finally turn to these British divers. They're just like, you know, if you think you can do it, uh, go ahead. And so they're, they're trying to figure out what to do. And they, 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 at one point, there's a worker who's trapped only a short distance into the cave. And they try and get him out. And the guy panics because he's, got, he's never dived before. It's, there's currents rushing through, and he panics and pulls the other guy's face mask off, and he's like, we can't, we can't do this. We can't bring 13 people over five or six hours through these caves, because they will panic, and I, they will die, and we might die. So they contact a friend of theirs who's not only a diver, but is also an anesthetist. He, he's a doctor, and they decide there's this crazy idea to uh, have these kids uh, not conscious and become packages that they will then deliver through these cave systems. They have a cocktail of drugs. There's three of them. There's one that reduces salivation because they're going to have masks on. They don't want them choking. Uh, another one that they give it to calm the boys down. It's very stressful. And then they give them ketamine to sedate them. And actually, this stuff wears off within two hours. So during the dive, their plan is to have these drugs and in the caves, re-inject the kids if they start to come around. Incredible. Well, you know, I was thinking about this film and reading the passage in Hebrews today, and it absolutely resonates with this amazing story of rescue. As we ask the question, what if God was one of us? Let's read Hebrews chapter 2, verses 11 to 18. And the writer says, Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says... 
I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, he says, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helped, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Last week, Melody shared this remarkable progression, this three-part progression of really the story of human beings in relationship with all of creation and with God. And the first one was having it all, this idyllic story of a garden with the full presence of God in friendship and relationship and these people together stewarding the land which yielded fruit for them to eat and it was, it was the perfect condition to be in. And then when sin entered into the world, how they lost it all. They lost it all. The greatest tragedy. Now they struggled with each other. The first murder happens, and and, and so it goes on. And and to this day, we see the results of the fall of sin, both inside of ourselves and outside of ourselves, that we are a warlike race. We can't seem to get on with each other, and we struggle with even understanding ourselves. But then this remarkable story we're being told in Hebrews of getting it all back again, getting it all back again. And Melody emphasized our powerless to avoid the reality of our condition, the chaos that we find ourselves enmeshed in every single day. But she also emphasized the complete work of Jesus in restoring all that was lost. We were like children trapped in a cave with the water rising and the oxygen level dropping and absolutely no way out. The certainty of death and judgment was our destiny. What is our problem then? The writer of Hebrews points to three issues for us. The first is sin, the second is death, and the third is is the devil, a personal force uh, of, of darkness of lies, who who seeks to draw us away from God, separate us from our creator. And sin is very, very powerful at doing that because what happens before we step into sin is we hear the voice saying, it's no big deal, you're fine, God is forgiving. But once you have stepped into that place, the voice comes, you dare show your face in front of God ever again. You are awful and we feel shame, which separates us from God, separates us from one another, and indeed separates us from ourselves. And the final separation is, is death. We're leading to death. We're always trying, you know, working as a pastor, I, I've encountered a lot of death, and so I've re- had to wrestle with my mortality at regular times, and it's just this, it's, it's something that we all have to think about, and it's, it is scary, it makes us anxious. And this is all coming from this personality that he's called here the devil or Satan. And he's, we're trapped in this system. We are enslaved. It's like, a, it's like we are slaves and he is our slave master. 
the dreadful thing. So back to Thailand, not just anyone could enter that cave and bring the boys out. You know, the highly trained Navy SEALs. You know, has anyone ever known anyone who was trained as a Navy SEAL? Like how rigorous that process is. And these guys were well-trained and their attempt ended in tragedy. I can't imagine how terrifying that job would be. The stakes are so high. Ronna and I actually learned to dive when we lived up on Orcas Island. We did a lot of fun stuff on Orcas Island. We do a lot of fun stuff down here too. That's us. My hair is just, it's just, the, it's just the current, okay? I didn't really have hair like that. Um, but Ronna, and Ronna found it terrifying, but I think she went along with it because it's something we could do together. I think she'd much rather have done swing dancing with me <laughs> rather than diving. That was actually in Hawaii. We went down to almost 100 feet and we actually swam through a cave. We're remembering, like, what were we doing? Crazy. Um, but I had a couple of scary moments when we were learning. The first one was we were doing a practice dive in a pool and you have these weight bags, and one of them was broken, so these little metal lead beads or whatever, the metal beads were on the bottom, and I was helping this diving instructor pick them up. And while I was doing that, he reached back and turned my ear off. Just, you know, he knew what he was doing, and he wanted to see what I did. And uh, I, I panicked for a minute, and then I thought, okay, I, I, I can do, like, figure my stuff out, turned it back on again. It was good. And the second one was when I had something going wrong with my, it's called a BC, a buoyancy compensator, whatever it's called. It, was, it wasn't functioning correctly, and air was leaking in constantly into my, into my thing, and I couldn't stay down. And I came up fast to the surface. Luckily, I hadn't been down long enough to get the kind of bends thing, but it was just, I don't know what we kept doing that for. But, you know, and so I, I know that stuff's hard. It's scary. You kind of, kind of, it's the initial getting under the water. Everything in your body is saying, don't go under the water. You don't belong there. Don't go under the water. You don't belong there. And you really got to just do it, you know? So going into a cave, just not anyone could do this. These British divers were specifically suited for this job. They were unique, first of all. Unique. Apparently, there's almost 8 billion people on the planet. And apparently, there's only 75 people who can call themselves professional cave divers. I, I tried to work out the percentage, but math is not my strong suite. I didn't actually understand what the number meant. What's 75, what, what percentage of 8 billion is 75? I don't know, but it's a very, very small number. Buzz? <laughs> <laughs> Answers on a postcard, on a connect card, if you know the answer. Um, and, and so even in the movie, it's interesting, the... Uh, the, the guy who's administering the anesthetic in the cave, there's different divers taking different kids, but for every single one of them, he says, this is his name, he is the best diver in the world. And they, were, they are the best divers in the world because it's, it's such an incredibly difficult thing to do. The second thing is experience. They needed to be experienced. They had put a great deal of time into their cave diving training and practice. They knew all the science and the techniques that were particular to navigating small passages underwater and great danger situations. They were courageous. These were very brave men. They had no illusions about the risk. They had lost people. They knew people who had lost their lives doing things easier than this. They were genuinely scared and worried about the job they were going to do, but they planned to do it. They were motivated. These men were motivated. And in the film, actually, the governor says this. He says, I know you all did this for one reason, love for the boys. Some of these guys were parents. 
And that is this motivation to save, to rescue this love. And then they, get, get to meet, they got to meet their parents too and seeing these panicked parents, they had to do something. They were sacrificial, think about it. They bore no responsibility for these boys, the boys' situation. Not their responsibility, not their problem, not their fault. Yet they decided to take personal responsibility for their welfare at great risk to their own lives. And lastly, they were purposeful. They spent many, many hours in the film. You see them trying all different things and just arduous conversations and, and mike, mike, minute planning. They even rehearse all the movements to make sure that everything is covered. And that makes me think about Jesus. The parallels are quite striking and even more so. Firstly, Jesus is unique for this task that he comes for. So Let's do another estimate. There's an estimated has been 117 billion people on the planet throughout history. It's a very rough number, but that's a calculation. 117 billion, and there's only one Jesus, this unique one who came fully human as one of us to represent us, to save us. He was experienced. What does it mean that Jesus was experienced for this particular task of coming to save us? Well, the writer says a few things about that. Chapter, uh, verse 11, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. And that means a couple of things. It means he was human, but it also means of Adam. This story at the beginning where we lost it all, he comes and purposely experiences what it means to be of the family of human beings, and he's not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. If I was God, I'd be ashamed to call me brother or sister. If I was a holy God, he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters because that's what he becomes. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, flesh and blood. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way. And then because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he stepped into our skin. He experienced everything that it means to be human. Earlier in the passage, it said he was made perfect through suffering. It doesn't mean he was a sinner or anything. It means perfect to be fully human, to be this person could come. Nextly, he was courageous. He was courageous. You know, the passion of the Christ shows tremendous physical suffering. But if you think about what it must have meant spiritually, for Jesus to take upon himself the sins of the world. Incredibly courageous and motivated. Same motivation as these men had, love. He was motivated. That means moved into action by love. He was sacrificial. It wasn't his sin, wasn't his responsibility, wasn't his predicament, but he entered willingly, gladly beside us on our behalf. Even though he was God, he did not consider his equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and as a man humbled himself, obedient to death. Lastly, he was purposeful. One of the most striking verses in the Gospel of Luke is when Jesus is with his friends they're continuing in their journey. He's been healing, he's been teaching, and he starts telling them about what's, what awaits him in Jerusalem. And they're freaked out. They're like, no, we shouldn't go to Jerusalem. That's the last place you wanna be. And in chapter nine, it says, 
Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, there's a few meanings there, up and up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Didn't shrink back. In fact, he did the opposite. He ran towards suffering, his own and the suffering of the people to whom he would bring life. So in this passage, there's this really interesting thing the author does where he pictures, he takes Old Testament passages and he has them coming from the mouth of Jesus. And there's three different passages here that he does that with. And it, so it's this piece in chapter two, verse 12, 13 says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in you. And here I am I and the children God has given me. So the first one is from Psalm 22. You guys familiar with Psalm 22? It starts with these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which he said from the cross. But then later on in the psalm, it says, I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. Like this really tells us about the motivation for Jesus's movement into the world. It's the praise of God, the glorification of God the declaration of God's name and all that means to his brothers and sisters. You wanna see God, look at Jesus. There is no God hiding behind Jesus. He is God for us and with us. And he comes to glorify the Father. And the second one is, uh, again, I'll put my trust in him. And that's from Isaiah 8, 17. I will wait for the Lord, I will put my trust in him. And this is like the middle section. This is when he's on the earth. What did he do the entire time? He put his trust in the Father, even in the midst of terrible challenge and suffering and opposition. I will put my trust in him. And then the author puts in Jesus' mouth the words from Isaiah 8. Here am I and the children God has given me. And so Isaiah says, here am I and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. And this is like looking into the future where Jesus will present with him, his brothers and sisters, all that he has drawn up into life, into glory. Isaiah 49, later on, just speaks so powerfully of this, this moment, this story. Can the prey be taken from the mighty or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? But thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken and the prey of the tyrant be rescued, for I will contend with those who contend with you, and I will save your children. All these promises, we've talked about already, that all of the promises of the Old Testament find their substance and their realization in the person of Jesus. So I'm gonna share a little diagram with you. It's from a book that I've been looking at, a commentary. Sorry, it's not the best picture in the world. But this is just a picture of what Hebrews is talking about, about this story. The glorious son, we heard, remember, he was instrument of creation. The world was made through him. Expression of the being and glory of God. And then the suffering son, for a little while, Lord on the angels, death on a cross, he, he goes into our world, taking upon himself the full human experience. And then the triumphant son, seated at the right hand of God. So here's our problem with sin and death and the devil. What is the answer in this man, Jesus? But he is our pioneer. He's the one, the unique, the only one motivated by love to come to our rescue. He is a champion who takes out our opponent 
And he is a high priest who offers a sacrifice of himself that we might be forgiven. There's so many things in this, in this passage about who Jesus is for us. This one, he makes us holy. He calls us brothers and sisters in his family. He testifies about God the Father. He puts his trust in God. He brings us to God. He shares in our humanity. He breaks the power of death. He sets us free from the fear of death. He fulfills God's promise. He makes atonement for us, and he presently helps us. C.S. Lewis, in a book called Miracles, has one of the best, what I think the best descriptions of this story of Christ's coming into our world. The unique one, motivated, purposeful, courageous, sacrificial. Here's what he writes. In the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down to the very roots and seabed of the nature he has created. But he goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world up with him. One has the picture of a strong man stooping lower and lower to get himself underneath some great complicated burden. He must stoop in order to lift. He must almost disappear under the load before he incredibly straightens his back and marches off with the whole mass swaying on his shoulders. Or one may think of a diver, first reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, vanished, rushing down through green and warm water into black and cold water, down through increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, then up again, back to color and light, his lungs almost bursting, till suddenly he breaks surface again, holding in his hand the dripping, precious thing that he went down to recover. He and it are both colored now that they have come up into the light. Down below where it lay colorless in the dark, he lost his color too. These little kids all made it. Every single one of them. There was no expectation. That's another thing about Jesus. His saving is complete. There is no one to be left behind. Every single child was returned to their families. They came out of the darkness and into the sunlight. They came out of the mud and the slime and into clean rooms and crisp white sheets. They came out of isolation and fear and into the arms of their family and their community, all of them. And this is our story or potentially our story But we have a part to play. Actually, going to skip to the other picture, Electra, the one with the diagram that was going to be for communion. I'm going to share this now. So this is a diagram of how they did it. You know, the kids had to trust and consent to this journey and by the method proposed. And they were not conscious when they were carried through this dark tunnel from death to life. These divers 
Actually, in the film, they had actually zip-tied them up so they would, so with no dangling arms and things. They're just, they're just completely in this care of this diver. And I think that is such a beautiful picture of what we're called to do. We don't do the diving. We don't do the journeying. We simply consent to be placed into the arms of the Father who will carry us through the murk and the ooze and the water and the darkness and the danger to safety. We have to consent. These children were unconscious of the process, entirely dependent upon the skill, the experience, the unique abilities, the motivation of love, the courage, the sacrificial attitude and the purposefulness of these men, and that is all there for us. We could choose to stay in the cave. We could even say, could you maybe just send me down a bit more food? Maybe a rug, you know? We're called into the light, but it is fully dependent upon this one, Jesus, sent to come to save us. In the book of Colossians, the apostle Paul describes this. It says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity, God, lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That's heavy, good stuff, right? the word. So we respond. In a minute, we're going to take communion. This is a means of response. This is a, we take our bodies and we come forward and we take the bread and we take the cup as a means of saying, rescue me. Be my Lord. Be my God. Be my brother. I'm your brother. It's interesting because we can actually take the words that are put in Jesus's mouth and we can actually live those out also. Because it says that we're his brothers and sisters. He's not ashamed us to call us brothers and sisters. So we can enact these same things in some way. You know, I hope that when these kids came, I'm sure when these kids were rescued from that horrible position, I bet they have a real sense that they want to go on and do something significant. My life is really important. And I'm sure they are. So once again, at the beginning of this passage, it says that Jesus says, I will declare my name to my your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. We can do that too. We can declare that God is sufficient. We can seek to glorify him. We can declare his name in the assembly to our brothers and sisters, some of whom are not connected, some of whom are still stuck in a cave in the darkness wondering how on earth they're going to get out of this predicament. And we can point them to the one who can rescue them. The second one, I will put my trust in him. This is, an, this is also what we can do in the midst of all of the chaos and the challenges. That is our call even now I will trust you. And God can give us the power to do so. And then lastly, here am I and the children God has given me. It's about identity. Yeah, here am I. 
with Jesus. God gave me to him. And it's about destiny. This is our inheritance. This is our birthright in the new birth. These little children were born again out of a cave. And we can renew, be renewed and born again out of our predicament. So we're going to go to communion now. I would ask uh, Melody if she'll come up front. And uh, we've got Chris and Scott at the back there. Take your time. You know, sometimes this can just be a procedural thing and we kind of rush through it. Take a little time with God. You could express thanksgiving that he has found you. You could express questioning if you're still trying to figure out what this means for your life. You could just sit in silence, you can pray, and then whenever you're ready, you can come up to one of the stations at the back or the front. By the way, the bread is all gluten-free, so if you have uh, that situation, you can partake of this also. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son, whoever believes will not perish, but will have eternal life. Let's take communion together. And we will hold the elements and take them together in a minute. One of my favorite things about some parts of the Gospels is the sense that you get this kind of cosmic, heavenly scene. Like, for example, when the time came near for Jesus to be, you know, taken up, it says, and the devil had entered into Judas Iscariot. And then it comes right back into the little room with the disciples and says, so Jesus uh, took a bowl of water and washed his disciples' feet. It's this magnificent mystery. This is, this is also tinged with mystery. Uh, a group of people in a room with a piece of bread and a piece of cup. But we believe the significance of this is cosmic. That we, that, you know, there, there's spiritual powers that watch when we declare that God is good. He loves us. And he has accomplished everything necessary for us to walk in freedom and life, even though life is difficult, and do it together. This is the body, a picture of the body. We do this together. It's the body, and he is the head. So on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and he broke it and gave thanks. And then he take, said, take it and eat from it, all of you. This is my body. took a cup and I wonder what he was thinking when he held this cup was he thinking about the coming hours he really knew what was going to happen and he faced it willingly but he took his time with his friends to show them, to illustrate to them the significance of what this is that his death would bring them life and we have that same privilege and power Thank you, Jesus. Lord God, oh, we come understanding our weakness, bearing the scars of this world, whether they are mental or emotional or physical. 
death that was once to be feared though has been broken by your death you broke death you destroyed the power of death and the grave Lord we thank you that you did it all you said it is finished we take that for ourselves we declare that yes Lord we are your children we love you Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy for all who are struggling today with this walk. May we make ourselves known to our brothers and sisters for prayer, for care, and practical help. Help us to love our community well. We thank you, Father, and pray in Jesus' name.